HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hi there, I'm Yom, host of Item 13, an African food podcast. I'm excited to be joining the Heritage Radio Network this year as we kick off our fourth season of the podcast. On Item 13, we cover all aspects of the African food ecosystem. You will hear West Africans squabble over who has the best jollof. Newsflash, it's Ghana. It's time to celebrate our jollof. Like we are done with comparing who and who did what. And jollof is not just about even the rice, it's about the protein that goes with it. Guests share their expertise on African food ingredients and spices. This is a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the pepper coast. Fresh and aromatic peppers. That is what distinguishes West Africa. Tips on marketing food businesses. A good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey. You know, get them talking about this idea you have. That way you are engaging them. They are engaging with each other. And you're getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe. This season, my goal is to focus on more stories outside of English-speaking West Africa. So you'll hear stories from Benin, from Uganda, Liberia, and even Haiti. You will also hear us discuss the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement and how COVID-19 has impacted some of the businesses featured on the show. You can catch up now on previous episodes of Item 13, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join us this season as we debut on HRN. Thank you. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, good morning. Today is September 30th, 2020. Yeah. The day uh, which will live in infamy. An <laughs> infamy. Well, yeah. Oh, uh, wow. Oh. oh, man. The puns are back. Uh, yeah. So yesterday... 
I guess yesterday's the day that I live in the infamy. Today we'll live in the infamy. Um, yeah. yeah, the de- the debates, uh, the presidential debates last night between uh, incumbent President Trump and, and Joe Biden were uh, quite a spectacle, I think, for for us. And, you know, I know that all of us on this call have friends all over the world. I've been getting messages from people all over the world saying things sure. like, what an embarrassment, what a joke. Like the entire world is kind of laughing at everything that's going on in our country, you know, laugh, like laughing sorrowful laughs, right? They're, they're, they're sad for us because we can't seem to get our, our shit together. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I tell the story all the time when we had um, Steffi Shen from Dead Rabbit in Ireland on this summer when, you know, I mean, when the, I think it was around July when, you know, there was all of the, the BLM unrest and cases were on the rise again and we thought we had it beat and then things started taking off in Texas and Arizona and it was just, you felt like you were living in a blender. And I remember we asked her before the show, I was like, I just need some perspective here. Like, does it look as insane on the outside as it feels on the inside? And she was like, oh, yeah, no, it looks crazy from out here. I was like, good, because we're so just hammered by it psychologically every day that you start to wonder. It's like, is this you You start to almost gaslight yourself and be like, is this normal? You know, it's it's helpful well, to talk I, to people looking at it and have them give the perspective to be like, no, it's not. Yeah, I think, Greg, you sort of hit the nail on the head. Normal. we That's the problem. As Americans, we have somehow normalized it and decided mm-hmm. to simply work around it instead of facing it and overcoming it like every other uh, country in the world has done or is doing. You know, and I think that that's the difference. We're sort of mired in it. And, you know, life has not been as obstructed for us as it has as it was in many countries that really clamped down and shut down and held people accountable for you know, not not going even two kilometers from their own home when they were out for a jog, um, as we heard off air a little bit a moment ago. You know, we never really had that here. So I think we just sort of normalized it. Oh, well, I guess we have to wear a mask now. I guess we have to eat outside now. You know, like we just kind of kept on trucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we were we were also talking about this off air that we had a real, um, a, a truly sad and... Um, uh, one one that really kind of you know hit hit me right in the feels when I read about it. We had a casualty in the bar oh, industry when yeah. Nightcap, um, amazing bar here in New York City, run by uh, a friend of the show Natasha David. They announced that they were closing permanently this week, and it's just you know it, it made me realize because you know they were doing well, they were profitable last year. They there was no reason that they if if the virus hadn't hit that anything that they wouldn't have stopped just kept going up and up and up. And, you know, I got this real sinking feeling realizing it that like, this will not be the first place like this that I read. It it was one of the, excuse me, it was one of the first ones. It will not be the last place like that, that we read about before this year is over, you know? Oh, of course not. And that's going to become normal too, which sucks. Yeah, we're already seeing them. You know, uh, XCon was a pretty important bar, uh, uh, existing conditions, and you know they had to pull the plug. Uh, a place like Nightcap, which went through some struggles, having to move locations early in their right. uh, early in their go, and uh, you know even the building that they moved into needed a lot of uh, tender loving care, as they mentioned in the article, where they, you know, uh, sort of showed us their uh, tender underside and and how they had to deal with facing the to letting it all go. Uh, and, it's, and I think it was a bar that's. That, that had some importance already, but that was on its way to being a very important bar in, in sort of our, 
you know, it's our bubble, of course, but like they were, they were, they were an important place already. And I think they were going to go on to become even more important to the sort of landscape. And now they've been removed and, you know, none of us are safe from that. I think it's, um, I think it's a harsh reality when we see these places that we know and love uh, stumble and fall and go away because we know that, you know, there before the grace of God go I, right? Like, you know, I, I've, I've shuttered all but one of my places um, and, you know, we're struggling to hang on. It's, you know, it's terrifying. It is. Yeah. I mean, I will say this, though, about Natasha David. This is not the last we're going to hear from her. Oh, of course you know not. I mean? Oh, of course yeah. not. She's poised to be a titan, you know. She's she's got Absolutely. all the right all the right mechanics uh, and all the right pieces. Uh, this this is going to just be a footnote in her history, but it's but uh, to live it at the, at this moment, it's a big deal. Did you Souther, when uh there was a for a brief moment in in history, you worked uh with me at Prime Meats. I did. And was Natasha working there at the same time or uh no, that was the I, it was me and you and Karen uh Karen Fu and um I don't think she was there, or if she I was, she I might have crossed paths. She may have already come and gone. I believe but so, yeah. I, I was, you know, that was an amazing place to work with a, a lot of amazing bartenders. I was the one who probably should have never worked there, having worked <laughs> with all of you guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, she's she's an amazing person. So is Lauren Corvo, you know, like, they're, they're powerhouse. They're going to come out with something. And it's, you know, as amazing as Nightcap has been, it's going to blow it out of the water, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know, uh, it all comes down, sadly, you know, the, according to the article and according to everything that I've heard from her directly, you know, it all, it all really came down to landlord issues, which are, you know, um, the major, obviously, expense that a bar, restaurant, or any business has in New York City or anywhere, um, and they simply weren't willing to negotiate. And, in fact, right. uh, um, there was a moment where they thought they were going to be on the hook for the remaining six years of the lease. Um, but there's uh, something called a good guy clause where they're only, 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 I say only liable for the next three months, I think is what they said. But, you know, that, that totals uh, close to 90K. So they're going to yeah. do a bunch of pop-ups, according to the article that was in Punch. They're going to do some pop-ups and try and raise some money to, to you know, take care of that bill that's looming over them. Um, and, you know, of course, we wish them all the best and we'll support them in any way we can. And, and we know, we know, we know for sure that, that this isn't the last we've heard of them. Oh, yeah. For sure. But in the meantime, get your nightcap coffee mugs, folks. They're yeah, uh, an attractive addition to any home. I'll put uh, Greg and I'll put in the notes somewhere uh, where you can go to support them. I'm, uh, I'm sure they've got a website. And yes, they've got some merch. If you're if you're out of town, they've got some uh, other items that you can do to pop, to go to the pop ups if you're living here in town. So, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. politics is depressing. The state of the industry is depressing. But you know what isn't depressing, guys? Rum and. Mm. <laughs> And fortunately, uh, to talk about that, we have uh, we're very lucky to have in the virtual studio with us today, Delphine Gardere, the CEO of Rum Barbon Court, coming to us live from Haiti. Hey, Delphine, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. So Welcome. we've we've yeah, bummed really ourselves out. So now, yeah. so now we, we need to talk about rum to cheer ourselves up again. Right, we need our spirits <laughs> lifted with some delicious spirits from Haiti. Awesome. <laughs> Well, so first of all, uh, we were talking about this a little bit off air, but how what what is life like in Haiti these days, and what has life been like for you leading up to this? Because you had a, a kind of an interesting beginning to the pandemic, uh, if if I'm not mistaken. I think interesting is an understated <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, interesting is understated. I was pregnant during the beginning of the pandemic, so it was kind of a rough patch for me on a personal level. 
I'd have to say, because being pregnant during Corona and being stuck in Europe at that time was not a pleasant surprise. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, you, were in, but, you were in France, is that right? Uh, yes. But luckily, luckily, everything went well, and I'm back in Haiti, and we're, we're all good. That's great. And, and, and this is, you know, I mean, I'm sure during the pandemic, it was a lot different than it has been. But you've sort of been uh, in the, especially in the early stages of your career, no stranger to bouncing back and forth between Europe and, and Haiti where you grew up. Is that correct? Absolutely not. I lived, um, I lived in the U.S. a bit. I lived in France and I lived in the U.K. And Haiti, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what was, what was, I, I just sort of want to get the, uh, the origin story a little bit. What was that like kind of growing up around uh, the rum barbancourt business? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan and your father was running the company when you were a kid. Is that correct? Absolutely. Funnily enough, I, I think I didn't really understand what it meant at the time because my father was someone who was very discre- discreet and quite humble. So I... Um, I never really understood the power of the family company and its legacy until the last, I would say, until I grew up to become 20 or so. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's kind of a typical little kid thing, though, is you sort of tend to, whatever, you know, your dad could be Neil Armstrong. And if you're, (laughs) you know, a four-year-old, you're like, what, your dad didn't go to the moon for work last week? Yeah, well, yeah, yes, right. Exactly. It's, it's normal. It's totally normal. <laughs> yeah. So when when did it sort of? I, I love that you kind of talk about the power that it has. Sort of describe to me a little bit how that gradually uh, dawned on you as you kind of grew up and what what that sort of means to you now. Um, I think I realized this when I was working in investment banking in London, and then I came back to Haiti. Um, during a break, and I realized I went to business school because I love consumer products. Here we have this amazing family business. Why am I working in investment banking? Um, I should refocus and recenter on what I love, and it's such an amazing opportunity to be able also to participate in the family business directly or indirectly. Sure. I mean, uh, reading from your bio here, I see that, you know, uh, you're focusing your attention on the family business and the fact that it's a, uh, you know, kind of a luxury brand. But you worked in luxury brands before this, right? Um, Absolutely. And you saw like there there was an easy tie in for something like uh, you worked for it looks like a perfume, a perfumery, right? So you're selling or at least promoting perfumes all over the world. Uh, which are definitely a luxury item, and then you saw an opportunity to go back, go back home, literally go back to your home, uh, but also to go back and and promote something that you had a little bit more of a, a you know personal tie to. Absolutely, I worked in the fragrance business, um, working with big brands, um, advertising and doing marketing, mainly marketing, launching new products, managing brands, managing their budgets in either the UK, Ireland, as well as France. Um, so I think there's definitely a tie-in with um, Bourbon Court. Uh, what st- struck me the most was when I went um, down to Grasse and I visited one of the big um, extractors of essential oils. And it was so interesting to see that 
the way they distill and the way they produce essential oil is quite interlinked to how you produce rum. And the infrastructures are similar. I would not say the same, but they are similar. And also the universe, the the universe of the smell and the, how do you say that, the, the nose of the fragrance, but also when you're um, taking on the nose of the of the rum or when you're in the lab um, looking at, diff- testing out different um, products to see how it translates, how it translates to the consumer, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, so there, I, I just want for our listeners out there, I love that Souther doesn't know much about this whole world, but you were the senior brand manager for Hermes, so that's yes. like not that's not a small thing. That's like kind of a big deal. So let's I I don't wanna just like kinda of gloss over that part of it. That's pretty baller, okay? So but we gotta Is that is we, that a big deal? Should I have known that? Yeah, man. I try yeah. I try I try to uh, downsize it. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm the uh, one that's going to bring that to to the uh, the foreground for this conversation. I mean, this is why we have you know the three of us, so we can have different perspectives. I don't know. What, <laughs> exactly. I don't even know. I don't even know what that is. is that a perfume? <laughs> Am I... It's a it's a very very high end luxury clothing brand, and it it, it as well as yeah. Many other things. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I got it. Like, awesome. For instance, Souther, the the newest iPhone, or sorry, the newest uh, uh, Apple Watch, there's an Hermes version of it with uh, yes. a leather bracelet band. Strap. It's kind of, uh-huh. kind of a big deal. Let's just. Oh, it, let's is. it is. It is. I imagine you've already ordered yours, Damon. I'm sure it's yeah, on the way. Yeah, it's on the way. <laughs> I just have to, as soon as the show starts paying after, you know, Four hundred episodes, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I can one. That royalty check, that royalty yeah. check's being cut right now. <laughs> Patrick, you listening? But anyway, okay. so, sorry, Delphine. I just had to throw that in there. It's, okay. it's, it's okay. All right. So, I mean, I'm already in awe. I already think you're a big deal. You're 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 running Barbin Court. That's a big deal to me. Um, I don't know from Hermes, but Thank great. You. Uh, so, uh, so either way, what you're describing here is that there's obvious parallels between yes. uh, between these two consumer products that are that are on the global market, and you have a lot of training uh, that kind of positioned you in exactly the right way to, again, you, you, I think you got uh, fortunate in that all of these things led up to the you traveling the world and getting all this education and working for these amazing brands all over the world got you to a place where you could say, now I can go home. Yes, absolutely. So in 2015, I I started discussing with my dad and he was like, what are your plans for Haiti? And I thought, well, you know, I've always been I've always been open to coming home. So I will start getting involved if this is what you're asking. (laughs) So I started uh, getting involved um, as their export distribution manager. And... um, yeah, and now I'm managing the business. And I'm sorry, what year was that you said? 2015. 15. So you know, just a five-year run, uh, starting in the, starting in that position, and your yeah. position in your position, your title now is uh, you're the managing C- director. Yeah, managing director or CEO, of the whole company. Um, pretty amazing. Uh, again, that you got to do so much travel, gather so much education, and then take it all home. You know, that's the, that's the true story of, you know, hometown hero does good, uh, you know, 
prodigal daughter comes back. Um, But I think it's essential in a country like Haiti, if we do not have people who come back and bring back experience, how is the country going to develop and improve? And even for the family business, I think it's good to bring new ideas. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, I, I can attest to this. You know, I'm from a very small town in Oklahoma. I I know that growing up in Lone a small Wolf. farm, Lone Wolf, Oklahoma, I know that growing up in a small <laughs> town, like in a farm, <laughs> I know it's the best name ever. Um, <laughs> But, you know, they, in small towns and farming communities, especially, they, they see all the kids grow up and they move away, go to college, like what you did, but then they typically don't return. And that's what kind of, you know, over time leads to the kind of downfall and demise of a lot of these smaller communities. We've talked with a lot of people from, you know, Venezuela um, and parts of Mexico and South America and the You know, the cool thing is that we hear it. We're starting to hear a little bit more about people who've done exactly what you've done, where they've moved away, um, kind of like cut their teeth in different industries, gone to school in different countries and then come back and bring all that education back and and conti they continue to help the their homeland survive and actually thrive, which is a really amazing thing to do. So, yes, I mean, I, I really applied Yeah, kudos to that. that. Kudos to that. It is a story we've heard over and over with with other you know other brands uh, of spirit too. You know, uh, definitely like mezcal has this problem. Uh, the kids grow up and they they get to see something beyond their little village, uh, and then they don't go back because you know it doesn't seem to have value to them unless they have some sort of emotional tie towards the business itself that makes them want to go back and and you know again do good for the town, do, yeah. do good do good for the community and the family. And as we all know, kids are emotionless. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this seems like a good stopping point to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors here on Heritage Radio Network. We're going to come right back and keep talking rum barbancourt and what it means for the island of Haiti uh, in general. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. We're talking to Delphine Gardier from Rome Barbancourt. Uh, and uh, we were just about to start talking about 
the importance of the rum itself to the nation of Haiti. Um, but off the air, we started talking about how maybe our listeners could use just a little bit of a 101 intro to uh, what's going on with Rum Barbecue at the Star System, how that how that ties back to uh, Cognac in France. And, and, and you, you said you had some insights for us and our listeners, so take it away. So basically, um, Barbecue was founded by Dupré Barbancourt, who had strong ties to the Cognac region and basically decided to do rum in a cognac-like manner. So we basically use um, French oak for aging. And the star system on the bottle is kind of like what they used to do for cognac in the early 20th century. So for instance, the three star was the equivalent at the time of the VS in cognac. And the five star would have been the XO at the time. So that was a way of classifying um, the aging at the time. I don't know if that's clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pretty straightforward. Um, talk to us a little bit about how um, the importance of a brand like Barbancourt uh, and, and what it means to, to Haiti in general. So Barbancourt is the iconic brand of Haiti. We're probably one of the biggest branded exporters because we do export a lot of things, but in terms of branding, we're the number one branded export for the country. We employ 500 people and we work with about 3,000 farmers yearly in a co-op manner. So we don't really um, have our fields. We have a bit of fields, but 80% of the sugarcane is sourced directly from the farmers. Um, so that's a big, big role um, in the agricultural sector that we play. And we also, um, so we accompany the farmers kind of like in France with the champagne. We help the farmers not only grow sugarcane crops, but also help them develop other crops, um, such as beans, for instance, which is a staple in the Haitian food industry. So there's like, it, like kind of a negotiant situation similar to France, like with the, like you said, you mentioned champagne and how you would have the negotiant kind of talk with the farms, with the, with the wineries and the vintners. So there's, you're yes. very much working tied in with the surrounding community. Basically, yeah. yes. So agriculturally, we have a, an entire department that basically just takes care of them and also helps them, helps educate them as well and offer them the support. Sometimes they need help with labor. They need help um, buying materials and things like that for the crops. So we help them with that. Um, and we also help um, educate um, educate on varieties of sugarcane. We've been doing research on um, different varieties as well as to help them um, get, how do I say that, a be better return on investment. Better, better crop yields so they can... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's incredible. I'm sure that works uh, in, uh, in concert, that works... In a, in a positive direction for both you and the farmers, right? Exactly, because the better the yield, the better um, we can put the prices up as well, and um, it helps them um, have a better quality of life. Also, what we've now do, what we've been doing is pegging to the dollar. So most of most of the people we pay are now uh, pegged the pegged the local currency is now pegged to the dollar. Let's put it that way. 
Gotcha. So what is what, uh, can you talk a little bit about about pegging to the dollar? What exactly that that it's it sounds like you know that it would mean you know whatever price this fetches in U.S. dollars is what the folks that make the raw materials and and you know produce the sugarcane for the distillery get paid instead of being subject to some other market fluctuations by some other currency. But I am not an economist, so that is kind of what I got out of that. Simply put it is that we have a devaluating currency. So let's say that in 2017, we were at 70 gourds for $1. And uh, now we were at 120 to a dollar. Wow. So we've just pegged it so that they keep the same quality of life and quality, well, yeah, quality of life. And as the gourd depreciates, um, they still have more buying power, basically. Yeah. Because everything is priced in gourds. Everything has to be priced locally in gourds. Wow, they dropped almost half. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. You know, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a brand that doesn't say in its outward facing um, publicity stuff that, you know, it's like we, you know, give back to the communities that we come from. And we, you know, we we really value the people that grow the sesame seeds that go on top of your Big Macs or whatever, you know. (laughs) But um, it's really cool hearing you talk about this and kind of realizing that, you know, you get a sense of what you were talking about at the top of the show of that, the power that this rum has and how kind of tied in with your home it is by dint of the fact that you have gone out of your way to make sure that this rum, this, this brand, this company that's been a part of your life since you were a little kid is working to bring up the people around you. And I think, I think that's awesome. Well, I think one of the, what I understood from my father is that everyone has the core of the process. Um, There's no barbon court without the employees and that's it without the employees, without the farmers. It's a process so we need to work together as a family and a lot of them think of themselves as family to be honest yeah i mean i think we talk often about sustainability of of products we talk about you know the actual agricultural aspect of things being sustainable and uh you know using best practices to make that true Um, but i think it extends of course into the to the families that are producing these things if you don't create a relationship with them that offers them a, st- a, a stable and sustainable life, then, you know, that, that relationship is going to fall apart and you're not going to get what you need and nor are they. Right. So it's, it's all seem, seems to me it falls into the bubble of sustainability. Absolutely. And we have employees that have been with us for 10, 15 years. Um, it's, we're really um, focused on that and focused on longevity, this is really something important to us, is once someone comes in, they need to feel like they're part of the family. Sure, you know, part of something that's 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 bigger than themselves, but that, that, yes. need, that needs them to operate. Exactly. And speaking of things like that, um, you, in the notes here, I see that you wanted to kind of touch on what it's like to be running a, a, such a large spirits brand um, while embodying female empowerment. Can you give us a little bit of insight on what you mean when you said that? 
Um, well, I'm actually the second female generation running the show. Um, the first one was early 1920s, who was Dupre's wife. So her name was Natalie. And my middle name is Natalie. So that's inspired from her. And she was known to be quite fierce and involved in different types of revolutions. And um, I think she's, she was ahead of her time in uh, female empowerment, let's put it that way. And as a mom of two daughters and in, a, in Haiti, where um, business is often male dominated, I want to um, help other women grow with me, if that makes sense, in their career. And we've done a lot in implementing um, women in key positions of the company. Um, my CFO is a woman. Um, and now even in some different areas of the companies where you would not necessarily think there would be women, there are some now today. Well, that's great. And we had uh, a couple weeks on the show, we had uh, Dr. Nicola Nice of Pomp and Whimsy on. And one of the things that, you know, I, I was really struck by in that conversation and, and in talking to her is just this notion that there are so many spirits brands out there that pitch themselves as like doodly, you know, brands for mega dudes that, I don't know, drink whiskey on the beach at dude three bros. in the morning. Yeah, dude bros. Exactly. And when you do that, you're cutting out 51% of the human population from your marketing material. Yeah. And how just by, you know, bringing uh, women into these decision-making processes and into, you know, not just, I'm not just talking about focus groups. I'm talking about like making them your CFO. You're going to really take your brand in a direction where it appeals to everybody which I think we can all agree is good from just a humanistic and from, I'm sure, a financial standpoint, too. But also, um, in terms of product development, I think sometimes in the um, alcohol, in the beverage industry, let's put it that way, women are not always seen as major consumers. But when you look at the cocktail trends and um, even rum today, there's more and more women drinking. So... It's not a good idea to cut them out. <laughs> yeah, no, a- absolutely. Our perception is vastly different uh, from the reality of the data, which, uh, again, Dr. Nice pointed out to us a couple weeks ago um, when she said, uh, I think I it was know, last I, week, guys. I don't by think the way. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't like four years ago? <laughs> wasn't it, was it yesterday, March 15th? Um, <laughs> So, well, yeah, you're right. It was last week um, when she said, I, I think all of us on the air were stunned when she when she told us that uh, um, the statistics dictate that one in four women, pref- uh, sorry, one in three women prefers a spiritist cocktail over beer and wine, whereas one in four men. So 33 percent versus 25 percent. So that was a shocking number for me to hear, because I think, again, my own personal perception was that, you know, dude bros like to sit down and slug back you know, spirits the women like to drink wine um but like obviously just because that's what i think and that's what i perceive the data dictates that that's incorrect so are you doing anything um so you're doing things to uh put put females in in positions uh of prestige and power within the business are you then in fact doing any marketing that leans more towards 
um, more towards women than men or, 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 or at least equalizes it uh, better than maybe some other companies are doing? I think marketing wise, we are staying quite institutional for the moment. Um, we do have a flavored rum, which is called Pango, and it does lean more towards women than men in terms of um, consumption. However, um, I think in the future, um, women in business and in product development, there's um, always a feminine touch in developing products and in the complexity of um, products that I'd say some of the subtleness that women see that maybe a guy would not see in developing products. So watch this space. Yeah, I mean, if you look at just even in United States history, I mean, it was fairly recent. Fairly recently, there were still some places in the United States where women were not allowed in certain bars and still some clubs. And like, as far as like private clubs and stuff like that go, I mean, you know, I think a lot of, it basically just comes down to men do not understand women <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, and and women like are just understand everything. They're way, women are way smarter than men. Let's just put it that way. I, I really fully believe that. And mm-hmm. I think that as far as like any kind of marketing goes, uh, it's, it's almost as if like anything that's mo- like any kind of like marketing is modeled towards women. It's always been by men who do not understand women. Whereas that women in charge of marketing pretty much, they pretty much make it even across the, the board because they're just smarter and they can hit the entire audience rather with something of quality rather than some dude who invented uh, what was it called? Cougar juice? What Dr. Nice was talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Cougar juice. Like, shit like that. That's like a perfect example of, like, men not understanding women as consumers. Clearly, in, in this clearly he was not in the female uh, mind when he uh, came up with the name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's shocking. It's incredible. So, I, yeah, I mean, like, you know, but what what's cool, what we're seeing a lot more of these days is... I mean, if you look at everything, especially a lot of the people that we've talked to on this show, females in the position of marketing and production of newer spirits and even old spirits like, like Barbancourt, you know, like there's this, there's more of an air of like this very classic, timeless vibe that is really refreshing in a way that's not, you know, like beef eater pink jid or cougar juice or whatever it's called. It's 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 a very mature, very thoughtful, like across the board, everything I've seen is very extremely thoughtful. Like Yola Mezcal yeah. is one that I always think of, you know? I think I think um as a woman, um when I look at the brand I would never go away from the DNA of the brand, which is, you know, the cognac heritage, um, the authenticity of it being 100%, you know, Haitian rum, and um, the light-bodied flavor of Barbancourt. But there can, you can add some subtlety or subtleness to it and um, new products as well that might go back um 
go back in time with the roots of the product and the brand, like um, pot still and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. I think it's one of, it's probably the rum that I go to more frequently than any other rum, to be honest. I mean, like, I, you know, I love like really funky agricoles. Even another product yes. of Haiti, I love um, uh, Clarin, you know? It, yes, it's like, yes. It's some really crazy stuff. I, you know, but, but it's I, like, actually what, white, white overproof. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and like, but you know, I, I love, I love rum. I've been quoted yes. many times saying that rum is extremely outlaw because you can make it anywhere and there are kind of no rules <laughs> or like there, there's just a lot of different ways to do it. But barbecue court's always been like my top go-to because again, you know, there's something, the usefulness of it, the, the, the way that the flavor works in cocktails, obviously in a cocktail bar owner, but yes. I also, it's like one of the, I'm also a, a sipping rum drinker, you know, and to me, it's like you said before, like pot still and kind of like a lighter body to me, that's just, that's what I want to sip on. You know, I, I love like really thick molassesy, bold, like Solera aged rums, but you know, like I just, barbecue court's always been my go-to. I mean, how, like, while we're talking about this, what, it's quite, what, yeah. what's your, what's it, your go-to? Like, do you, do you drink in cocktails? You drink, straight? <laughs> I, mean, <like. laughs> I drink a bit of everything. So if, but my favorite, I'm going to say my favorite cocktail by far is a rum sour with oh, yeah. fresh lime. So fresh lime and bitter. And I actually put, um, aged rum. So I'll put the three star in it. And actually, that is a cocktail that has been going on in my family for generations. Because my grandparents, my grandmother was from a family of nine kids. And wow. they used to have, yeah, they used to have happy hour at my grandparents' house almost two or three times a week, I'd say, with the entire family coming over. And um, so I grew up. Uh, around a lot of rum sours, so that's by far my favorite cocktail. And um, but I can also drink uh, bourbon core on ice anytime. Yeah, I agree. I always, I'm an I'm a rum old fashioned guy. Same. I just I'll love start, rum old fashions. I'll start with the rum sour, and then I'll finish with a bourbon core with the with ice. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so talk to us a little bit about where Barbara Court is going. What, what do you see as the future for Barbara Court and Haiti, Haiti in general? We want to be, I think, part, we're going to continue doing the sustainability aspect of the company, continue building that. So I have, we already have a team there, but we're um, reinforcing it, if that makes sense. Um, we are also looking at new product developments like bringing back pot still and looking at um, maybe new products for this, with this. Um, and a pot still gives a different um, aromatic complex to the products. So that will be an interesting, um, an interesting uh, pipeline to go through. Sure. So in a, in a small way, looking forward to the pot still is actually looking backwards. 
Exactly. Yeah, sort of reclaiming the heritage. Exactly. Um, sometimes you have to look backwards to move forward. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, very yeah. much. And, makes perfect um, sense. And yeah. That's how so. I drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay off the roads, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not many uh, barbecues drink responsibly. Well, I mean, have you, looking have you ever ridden a motorcycle backwards? Um, so I think that's um, what we're looking at for now that's one of the big projects that we're looking at for now uh, I mean that's outstanding and and we all await that with bated breath Uh, we're always excited to see a new product coming out of out of Barwin Court Um, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you or or the brand I guess would be the better way to go about it uh, you got a social media handle that you want to share with us or yes we have a bourbon court page uh usa and a bourbon court page for haiti and um my uh, marketing manager is constantly on it so she um she takes care of everything or if you have an e- if you have any specific questions towards the brand there is marketing at bourboncourt.com easy enough direct exactly. access exactly very cool. Uh, well, it's been a delight having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time and sitting down with us uh, from Haiti. Um, I it's hope, been uh, a pleasure. Yeah, Thank I hope you. You, hope everything's going okay down there, as we're still slogging through it here in, in New York City anyway. And uh, Damon, Damon's had other other fires to put out, literally. <laughs> yeah, California. <laughs> Thank you so much for having I, me. I really want to say thank you to you, you know, personally. It, from the first bar that I ever started running, when I first started getting into bar management and I was a buyer and in charge of, you know, all the, the fun stuff to, you know, to get to put behind the bar. Barbing Court was like the first, one of the first, but it was literally, it was, you know, Rittenhouse Rye, uh, Laird's Bonded and Barbing Court. Those were like the three things, awesome. the first, in no particular order. But those were definitely the first three bottles I put on the back bar. And awesome. so I just want to say thank Iconic. you so much. Thank you. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So thank you for that. Thank you so awesome. much. Well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Be sure to check out Rum Barbancourt. It's one of our favorites, as I just said. And check out heritageradionetwork.org for many more programs like this one. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station to keep us going. And until next time we see each other or chat via the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cheers, everyone. Hey, cheers, cheers everybody. everybody. I, I just want to, I just want to point out uh, real quick before we go, you know, uh, tune in next week. It's our 400th episode right. of, of the speakeasy. We've got a great episode coming up for you uh, with some, with some great guests. So please tune in to the 400th episode next week. Thank you so much for everything guys. I can't believe that we made it this far. Seriously. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't wow. believe you guys still let me do this every week. This is great. <laughs> I can't believe they let me do it for almost 10 years now. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, guys. Cheers. Thank you so much. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's going to save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's going to get you the Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
for our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.